It was probably about 30 years ago that I first read Scott Peck's classic book, The Road Less Traveled. It was on the best New York Times bestseller list for the equivalent of 13 years. Touched many people's lives. It was, I'd say it's probably one of the 10 most influential books in my life. And I think one of the things that struck me about that book was the beginning. The first chapter begins with one sentence of three words. And those words set the tone for everything else that he writes in the rest of the book. It's an unusual beginning. But he begins that book by simply stating these three words. Life is difficult. Life is difficult. Nobody has to prove that to us. We all know life is difficult. We are living examples of the difficulty of life. It's just that sometimes we don't like to acknowledge it. But it's important for us to acknowledge it. And it is at the heart of of beginning to understand why life is difficult and what we do about the difficulties of life. That surround this question, why do bad things happen to good people? Now I have to tell you, this is a sermon that probably frightens me as much as any of the others. Because quite frankly, the answers are pretty hard to come by. And, and what I don't want to do in talking today is, is, to, is to address this subject in a way that feels clinical. Because we're talking about real life here. When you start asking these kinds of questions, you're talking about things like cancer and divorce. We're talking about things like losing a job or not being able to get a job. We're talking about death. And suffering and pain. Stuff that is real life for us. But that's where we need to center our attention because God is not just concerned about us understanding concepts. He's un- he wants us to understand real life. And he's concerned about real life. And it begins by acknowledging life is difficult. It's difficult for all of us. I think as Christians, something in the back of our minds wants to believe that because we're followers of Jesus, life ought not to be as difficult. And there are people who, if we pay them enough money, will tell us that. You give me enough money and I'll help you understand that being a follower of Jesus means life's going to be simple and easy and better. You have less problems. You have less difficulties. There are all kinds of people who are willing to tell us that. But the reality is, life is difficult for everyone. The good, the bad, pagans, Christians. Jesus says in Matthew 5, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Sun shines on the good and the evil. It's life. 
We think sometimes God owes us. I mean, after all, we've made quite an investment in following him. We ought to get some return on that investment, right? And shouldn't that mean less problems, less less difficulties, less struggles? The reality is it's a problem for everyone. Now, God tells us, and scriptures tell us, scripture tells us that the reason life is, is difficult, the reason there is pain and struggle in the world is because there is sin in the world. And when there's, there's sin in the world because human beings have free will. And human beings have free will because God has designed and created the world to be centered around love. God created out of love. God designed human beings for love. God's, our relationship with him is intended to be love. And our relationship with each other is intended to be focused and centered on love. But the minute you introduce love into the mix, you have to also introduce the ability to not choose love and to reject love. Because if you can't choose love, it's not really love. All it is is someone put their arm, putting their, your arm behind your back, forcing you to say, I love you. And that's not really love. Well, the words are coming out of our mouths, but we don't really mean it. The only way that you can have genuine, true love is if you have the ability to not love and to reject love. And God created this universe in love. Which is why human beings had the freedom to choose to reject his love and Because we did that, we now live in a fallen, broken world where tragedies happen. And we live with fallen, broken people, which obviously includes you and me. And we hurt each other. And sometimes the way we hurt each other is unintentional. Sometimes, let's be honest, we hurt each other with malice aforethought. We hurt each other. There's pain, there's struggle, there's difficulties, disappointments, problems. The very question, why do bad things happen to good people, implies that there are people in the world who are good enough that shouldn't have to experience pain. We typically think that's us. And that there are people who are so bad that they deserve pain. But because of free will, because we live in this world that is focused on love, there is pain enough for everyone. And we sometimes act as though the pain, that we are passive to any of, the, any of the causes of pain. When in reality, we've all done our share of inflicting pain. Just as we have had our share of being inflicted by pain. Now to say that, that God created in love is to identify his otherness. As we've been talking throughout these questions. And the otherness of God means that he is willing to take a risk to create the world and people in the spirit of love and give us our independence knowing that we may well reject it. See, we have a tendency to think that the risk of life is us trusting God. What possible risk is involved in that? God is perfect. He is always loving, always good, always wise. He always responds to us in exactly the right way. He is perfectly holy. There is no risk in trusting God. The risk is in God trusting us. We're the ones who fail. We're the ones who disobey. We're the ones who are faithless. 
It is God, it is the God who risks that creates the world and gives us the ability and the freedom to reject him. God who risks sends Christ into the world with the freedom to accept him, to embrace him, or to reject him. But it's because at the heart of who God is and a relationship is love. And where there is love, there is always the risk of pain. We know that. We know that all too well. All you have to do is give your heart fully to someone and you know what pain is. We've all had experiences where we invested ourselves in someone and they hurt us deeply. And the more you love, the deeper the pain potential is. People we hardly know don't, can't really hurt us to the depths of our being like the people who are closest to us can hurt us to the depths of our being. What's fascinating is that God, instead of rejecting us when we reject him, says to us, despite the fact that your sin and your rejection has created this mess, I'm going to take the mess and bring good out of it. I'm going to take the mess and I'm going to redeem it. Paul writes in Romans that he, he something... He says, because of, of the way that, that the suffering that I, I'm enduring, I'm learning endurance. I'm learning patience. I'm learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm getting better in my character because of what I am struggling with, the suffering. Romans eight twenty eight, the passage we love to quote, God works all things for good to those who are called according to his purpose. It is God's perfect purposes as a being who is other than us, who takes our pain and takes our struggles and even our sin and is able to bring good out of it. And the most amazing scripture is what we find in Hebrews 5.8 where it says that Jesus learned what it was to be a son through suffering, through pain. He learned what it meant to be the son of God on this earth. Wow. Wow. God is in the business of redeeming things. A few months ago, I heard Joanne Lyon talk about being in, in Egypt and meeting with some of the pastors there. And of course, they go through a lot of persecution and struggle. And one of them said to her, the Arab Spring has shattered our understandings of God. She wasn't quite sure if that was a positive or a negative thing. But she came to see quickly as he explained it that it was positive. Because they had been so, so narrow in the way in which they thought God could work in their culture and in their place. But when the Arab Spring came, it totally shattered those normal ways of working. And they watched God do things they could have never dreamed possible. What was happening was bad. God's ability to do something with it in spite of it, because of it, was good. And God is at work in our lives continually working to redeem all that we have, all that we have done, all that's been done to us. Now, that doesn't mean that God is is uncaring about the things that happen to us. It doesn't mean that God is apathetic toward us. In the New Living Translation, it says in Psalm 22, 24, that God is not, does not belittle the suffering of the needy. 
That's a powerful word. Because there is something in us that might think, well, God's just concerned about the end result, so what we go through doesn't matter to him as long as it gets to the end. Every bit of our suffering grieves God. If we think it grieves us, it grieves him more because his love for us is so much deeper than we can imagine. All of our griefs, God feels. All of our pains, God feels. He does not belittle or ignore any of our pains or our struggles He feels them with us. That's one of the reasons why I think he gives us the the dynamic of prayer. It is a means of understanding God's pain with us and God's struggle with us and his his aching heart with our aching hearts. And, And the power of prayer is that we have the opportunity to come to God and tell him what we think. One of the most amazing prayers is the prayer that Jesus prays from the cross. It is not what we would expect. That the Son of God would be on the cross in the greatest moment of pain. We would expect him to say, God, it doesn't matter. I trust you. He prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I'm convinced God did not forsake him, but he felt it. You read the Psalms, wow, are they honest. Sometimes they make us nervous and uncomfortable, they're so honest. The psalmists don't seem to mind at all railing against God, making accusations against God, being honest with God, being angry with God. And never once are they condemned for their honesty. What we're condemned for, what we are, we are warned about, is trying to hide our feelings from God. It's secrecy that gets us in trouble. Not honesty. It's one of the reasons why the, the prayer vigils are, are, are so important to us and why we keep doing them over and over again. If you've been a part of it and you've gone down and you've seen what people write on the wailing wall... It's agonizing sometimes to read as people pour out their hearts. It's also exciting to see that people are free to do that. Because I'm convinced that when we do that, when we're honest with God, then we, our hearts are open and God can begin to work in us and bring healing to us and help us. It's in secrecy. It's in dishonesty that we find the trouble. I learned a long time ago, might as well be honest with God. It's not like he doesn't know what I'm thinking anyway, right? But something about us thinks if we don't say it, it's not real. We need to say it. And this year during the prayer vigil, we're also encouraging times of corporate prayer. Times we're setting aside a few hours each week where just come and we're going to have group prayers together. And the reason for that is because we need each other. We need to pray for each other. We simply cannot handle pain and evil and suffering and struggle by ourselves. None of us are that good. We need each other. We face it together. We pray together. We, We lean on each other together. We're honest with each other together. It's what the church was designed to be. And unfortunately, it's not always that. But that's because we mess it up. It's not because it wasn't God's design. 
We are continually called to come together as the church and to love each other and to support each other and to pray together and to be honest with each other. I am convinced that that's one of the reasons why, probably one of the biggest reasons why, the transition from apartheid to the government they now have was, was so uh, lacking in violence. Because of the, the, the Truth and Justice Commission, Bishop Desmond Tutu helped to establish where there was this council of people who sat and listened to anyone who wanted to come to share their story and to tell about the pain they had endured and their anger and their desire for vengeance. To be honest and sometimes to confess. And what ended up happening is that instead of taking vengeance... Something happened when people spoke about it. And it released them. They were heard. And it changed the whole dynamic of what was going on in that nation and what had happened in that nation. And I think that's God's design for the church. But if it's not just that we come and and tell each other what we're facing, there is also the side of being willing to listen to one another. To, in a sense, take on the suffering that other people are feeling. We stand in the gap for people and with people. And one of the the parts of our vision statement is that if we believe that if, if the Holy Spirit made us the church that we believe he wants us to be, then we would acknowledge our personal and corporate brokenness. We'd be honest with each other about the stuff we're dealing with. But the other side of that, in our vision statement, also, it also says that if we become what the Holy Spirit wants us to be, then we will take on the suffering that other people are facing. And we'll do it willingly and out of a spirit of love because that's what the church does. And we're willing to, to take on the suffering that people face. We, we're, we're willing to listen and to pray and to let people come to us and, and, let, and, and be for people eyes and ears and a face and hands of God. To be agents of grace to each other. It's a calling of God's people in the midst of a world of difficulty and pain and struggle. But ultimately, ultimately the answer to our pain and ultimately the answer to this question is is not a, a theory or a philosophy Ultimately, it is Jesus. Sometimes we talk about this issue as if God has done nothing about it. When the reality is, God's answer to our pain is the cross. We read from from Isaiah 53. He says, he took upon himself our infirmities. What should have been ours were placed on him. 
our punishment was on him. The consequences of our behavior were put on him. The answer to our pain is the cross. And God doesn't promise us to be free from darkness and evil and pain. What he does promise us is that he is stepping into that. And he is doing something about it. This is how our pain gets redeemed. This is why our prayers matter. This is why the church coming together makes any difference. Because of the cross. And one day, we're going to understand and we're going to experience the fulfillment of the kingdom. And the fullness of healing. Because the crucified Christ is risen. I'm fascinated by what Jesus says to his disciples in the 16th chapter of John's gospel. He says, take heart in all of your pain because I've overcome the world. It's an odd thing for him to say. He's only a few hours from being murdered. And he makes this statement, I've overcome the world. It it doesn't seem right. But three days later, we understand it. In his death and resurrection, he has conquered evil. He has conquered our greatest enemy and we have hope. And that's why Paul can write to the Romans that the glory that we're going to receive far exceeds the pain, the struggle, the difficulties that we face now. It's because God has stepped into our pain with his grace. In his book, Yearnings, Craig Barnes tells about being a a young teenager when his parents divorced and, and the pain and the agony and the struggle of dealing with that. He and his older brother questioning themselves, was it their fault and why did it happen? And he said it started him on a almost a nomadic kind of journey through life and away from God. He eventually came to the point in his life as he as he got older, where he just began to wander. And he hitchhiked all across the country. And he said one day, it was a Sunday morning, and he was out hitchhiking somewhere in Oklahoma when an African-American couple pulled over in their pickup truck and offered him a ride. And when he got in, they said, now, we're going to church, and we'd love to have you go with us. He said, now, it won't be many of us. It's not a big church, and we're really not, we aren't that much, but... But we, this is going to be a special day because they're going to, it's fifth Sunday and we're going to have singing all day and dinner on the grounds and there'll be lots of people there and we'd love to have you come. And he said, reluctantly, okay, he would come. And in the journey, on the journey driving to the church, they were talking with each other and, and uh, Deacon uh, Samuel said to him, so, you know, what's going on with you? And he began to pour out his story and talk to him about how he was just wandering and empty and just didn't understand life and all of his questions and the pain of his heart. And the deacon said to him, I think I understand a little bit of what you're going through. He said, I just lost my job at the granary and I don't know why and I don't know what's going to happen and I'm not sure how we're going to live. But I'm trusting God. When they got to the church, There were lots of people there and there was singing and there was food. And he said he watched Deacon Samuels interact with all the people and watched all the people interact with each other. And then he said at some point after the meal, 
Deacon Samuels began to hum Amazing Grace. And by the time he got to the end of the first verse, everyone was singing, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And Craig says, as I listened to them sing, the tears began to pour down my face. It was the first time I had cried since my mother had left years before. And something about it was healing. He said, you know, I've thought a lot about amazing grace. He said, it's kind of our song. It, it, it really gets into our pores. All it takes is for someone to say, I once was lost, and we automatically respond, but now I'm found. Something about that song reminds us that in our pain, in our struggle, there is always grace. Because there's always Jesus. The thing that I find when I read the scriptures about this question is that God doesn't really give us answers. At least not the answers we want. What he does promise us is his grace, himself. That he is with us in every moment of our pain. And the question for every one of us is, will we trust him? Will we trust him? The good times and the bad times. Will we trust him? Gracious Father, we thank you for your mercy upon us. For your power and your grace in our lives. Even when we don't get the answers we want, help us to understand that we get much, much more. We find you. As we prepare to come to this table this morning, we pray that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing on these gifts that focus our attention on Christ and what Christ has done for us. We pray that as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we will know the power of your crucified, risen, and returning Son, and that we will know grace. We pray this through Christ. Amen.